Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Man stung with £400 fine for leaving cardboard out for recycling. A man has been stung with a £400 fine for fly tipping after leaving out his folded up cardboard for recycling as instructed. Patrick Ward was fined by one of Torbay Council's new private enforcement team who was wearing a body camera but who allegedly refused to answer any questions. The 55-year-old shopkeeper told Devon Live he has had his appeal turned down and his case has now been taken up by local ward councillors who have described the enforcement as over the top. Mr Ward said, it was harrowing. This guy wearing a body cam turned up. He just said, this is the fine while videoing me. That was almost the worst part. There is nothing quite like someone videoing you whilst issuing you with a fine, but refusing to answer any of your questions at the same time. Mr Ward says that he has been met with a stone wall since trying to find out why he was fined for leaving his neatly folded cardboard out as instructed by the council at a time when recycling collections were delayed by staff shortages. Since his appeal was turned down Mr Ward said he has tried many times to get answers from the council about why he has been fined. I have rung Torbay Council so many times to try to get answers to questions. I tried to ask at the time the guy with the body cam at the time but he just refused to answer any of my questions. I appealed but was told it's not a licensed area for bin disposal he said. Ward councillors Hazel Foster and Anne Brooks are fighting his case. Councillor Foster said, I think the enforcement officer has been totally over the top. At that particular time the refuse bins in that area had gone three weeks with no collections. Residents were trying to do their best but we all saw it up and down the pavements, the area was generally untidy but it wasn't the residents' fault. They were old to leave it out until it was collected. This resident did everything he could to enable this. Mr Ward contacted Devon Live in a last-ditch effort to get his fine overturned. A Torbay Council spokesperson said, The fixed penalty notice issued to Mr Ward by National Enforcement Solutions, NES, was the result of a video sent in by a member of the public. Mr Ward was seen via video, leaving commercial waste behind a local authority public litter bin on council land, which is classed as fly-tipping. Mr Ward admitted to the offence and was issued a fixed penalty notice under the Environmental Protection Act 1990. Although the waste was later removed, it is the belief of NES that had it not been for the person filming. The waste would have been left for Torbay Council to clean up as a case of fly-tipping. However, Mr Ward disputes that he admitted it and that the cardboard box was not commercial waste. He said, it was the box from a B&Q shower and it was tucked behind my private recycling bin. Also, I have not admitted it, I denied it and that's why I have appealed. The person who filmed me may have thought it was commercial waste, but it wasn't. Torbay Council announced earlier this year that it has employed a private company to crack down on fly tippers.
It said, we are getting tough on littering and fly tipping and have appointed a new enforcement team to clean up the bay. The new team from National Enforcement Solutions have the power to issue fixed penalty notices to anyone committing environmental crimes in Torbay. Initially they will be focusing on tackling littering, dog control, fly tipping, graffiti, abandoned vehicles, failure to produce a waste transfer note, and not presenting domestic or commercial waste bins in the correct way at the right time. Councillor Mike Moy, Cabinet Member for Infrastructure, Environment and Culture for Torbay Council, said, Environmental crime impacts upon the quality of our environment reduces our pride of place and can have negative and economic impacts. People are fed up of seeing things like fly tipping, littering and mess on the streets and this sends a message that we will not tolerate this anymore in Torbay. Women cons Nottingham Salon, leaving them with a handbag containing used socks. A woman tricked a salon out of £60 worth of treatment after telling them she was going to a cash point and leaving a bag for security, only for staff to discover grim contents. Salon owner Hang Nguyen, who is better known as Emma, said two nail technicians had spent two and a half hours doing the woman's hands and toes after she kept changing her mind at AZ Nails in Mansfield Road, Sherwood. Miss Nguyen who took over the salon a few months ago, said, she wanted all the expensive things. We spent time doing it carefully and slowly and made sure she was happy with it. We made it nice for her. She had a full set of acrylics on her hands and gel on her toes. It was so difficult, she said no not this, I want to a different one. We are quite a small business. We take care of every customer who comes in. Afterwards she said she needed to get money out from a cash point. We said we take a bank transfer but she said she didn't do that and she'd take the cash out. Normally in such cases customers leave a mobile phone or some kind of ID as a safeguard against running off without paying. The woman, who was described as black and in her mid-twenties, left a pink shoulder bag at the salon for security. Staff became suspicious as time ticked by without her returning so a customer suggested they looked in the bag. Instead of anything of value, they found a pair of used socks, 6p in 2 pence pieces, hand gel, lip salve, a tampon and a screwed up green napkin. Miss Nguyen, 36, said, it was a waste of time for the staff. It's not fair for us. We work so hard and I need to pay the staff. Most time it's regular customers and I trust them. They're local and very nice. I've never seen her before that's why I asked if she would leave something here for security. I was shocked when I opened it. I feel very upset. We don't want it to happen to another shop. Customer Margaret Woolley 84, of Sherwood, was having her nails done at the same time and witnessed the incident unfold. She said, it does make me cross. In my day you saved for what you wanted. The thing was she looked a very nice young lady. It just shows you can't always go on appearances.
I remarked to the young lady you are being treated like a film star. She smiled at me. When her pedicure was finished she was asking for the shape of her fingernails to be changed. She kept asking for different shapes. The assistant spent over two hours trying to please her. When it was time to pay she said she didn't have any cash but would go to the hole in the wall cash point. They asked her to leave something behind. She said I'll leave you my handbag for security. I feel so sorry for the staff when they are trying to earn a living. The incident hasn't been reported to Nottinghamshire Police. Putin will vanish to have cancer surgery and hand over power. Vladimir Putin may be forced to hand over control of Russia as he disappears to have cancer surgery, a Kremlin insider claims. The Russian president, 69, allegedly already delayed the operation which was scheduled for the second half of April. But his doctors have insisted on it happening in the near future as the course of the disease is progressing, according to popular telegram channel General SVR, which claims to have a well-placed source in Moscow. Now, Putin is said to have hurriedly nominated his hardline Security Council Security Secretary Nikolai Patrushev, 70, to take over while he is incapacitated. Patrushev a former KGB counterintelligence officer seen as a key figure in the brutal attack on Ukraine, is the worst option, the source claimed. It comes following months of rumors surrounding Putin's poor health, with speculation he could be suffering from Parkinson's disease. General SVR Channel also claims he has schizoaffective disorder, a mental health disorder marked by a combination of schizophrenia symptoms such as hallucinations or delusions, and mood disorder symptoms, such as depression or mania. The Kremlin has always strongly denied Putin is ill, but critics claim mysterious disappearances, long tables and his sometimes bloated, trembling appearance may prove otherwise. In a video detailing the general SVR claims, the outlet's source supposedly an anonymous former high-ranking Kremlin military figure said there seems to be no particular urgency over the alleged surgery, but it cannot be delayed either. Putin has discussed that he will be undergoing medical procedures, they said. Doctors insist that he needs an operation, but the date has not yet been determined. I don't know for exactly how long he will be incapacitated after the surgery. I think it'll be for a short time. They added, it was possible to contain it for some time, but now the course of the disease is progressing. I do not want to voice any forecasts now, so as not to reassure you once again, because in this situation you should not be very hopeful. The warmonger is unlikely to agree to transfer power but is prepared to set in motion a charged affairs to control Russia and the war effort, they added. Handing over control to Patrushev would be a left-field move, given that power should pass to the Prime Minister Mikhail Mishustin, 56 a low-profile technocrat without known military or secret services links. Putin reportedly sees Patrushev as the only truly trusted person and friend in the system of power. He got the job following a two-hour heart-to-heart with the Russian leader, 
the outlet claims. Putin also allegedly promised actual management of the country would be temporarily transferred to him in the event his health sharply deteriorates. It comes after the same outlet alleged Vladimir Putin had grounded his daughter in case she leaves the country and decides never to return. Russia fire, panic as coal-fired power plant goes up in flames, massive smoke clouds. The blaze occurred at the GRE's two-power plant with flames spreading to the roof of the building. The fire was attended by 14 firefighters and a helicopter, as emergency crews battled to contain the inferno. The 120-megawatt coal-fired power plant is located near the village of Ilyinskoy. Valery Limerenko, Sakhalin's governor, said on his official Telegram channel. Fire extinguishing at the Sakhalin GRE's 2 continues in Ilyinsko village. According to information from power plant specialists, the flames are intensifying and the fire moves to the roof. Firemen are working on the site. Fourteen persons and five vehicles are engaged in putting out the fire. The blaze has now been brought under control and extinguished, according to a spokesperson for the Russian Ministry of Emergencies. Sakhalinago, the major energy supplier on the island, said the fire started after engineers attempted to shut down a turbine generator. Local authorities said there were no deaths or injuries, as 30 people managed to escape unharmed from the plant. They also confirmed there had been no disruption to consumers' power supplies. Sakhalin is situated in the Pacific Ocean, sandwiched between the Sea of Okhotsk to the east and the Sea of Japan to the west. It is located just off Khabarovsk Krai, and is north of Hokkaido in Japan. The island houses a population of roughly 500,000, the majority of which are Russians. The seabed in the vicinity of the island is also rich in fossil fuel deposits, both oil and gas. The western energy giant Shell teamed up with Gazprom and Mitsubishi to develop the energy fields surrounding the island in a project known as Sakhalin 2. Three offshore platforms were constructed along with an onshore processing facility. 300 kilometers of offshore pipelines and 1,600 kilometers of onshore pipelines, an oil export terminal and a liquefied natural gas (LNG) plant. Sakhalin 2 supplies about 4% of the world's current liquefied natural gas (LNG) market. Japan, South Korea, and China are the main customers for oil and LNG exports. However, Shell is said to be in talks to try and sell its 27.5% share in the joint venture as a result of Western sanctions. The Daily Telegraph reported that the London-listed company is in talks with Chinese state-run oil companies Sinook, CNPC and Sinopec over its holding. The discussions with the Chinese firms include the potential sale of Shell's stake to one, two or all three of the companies. At the same time, Shell is said to be open to potential buyers outside China. How well prepared London is in the event of a nuclear attack as Russia warns risk of nuclear war is considerable. Nothing encouraging tends to follow the phrase don't panic. 
but when looking at the prospect of nuclear annihilation, it's probably worth remembering that the risk of an imminent attack on the UK remains pretty unlikely. For now. Yet, as Ukraine has learned to devastating effect, things can change quickly when you are dealing with an unstable man like Vladimir Putin. So it doesn't hurt to get clued up on the UK's preparations for the worst of all scenario that sees the capital targeted by a nuclear with nukes. Fears of a nuclear attack ramped up this week as Sergei Lavrov, Russia's foreign minister, said the risk of nuclear war is considerable as the West continues to supply weapons to Ukrainian forces. He also accused NATO of being in essence at war with Russia and said it was pouring oil on the fire. From the beginning of the invasion, Putin has warned about outside forces intervening. He said, to anyone who would consider interfering from outside, if you do, you will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. All the relevant decisions have been taken. I hope you hear me. In March, my London spoke to two leading security experts on the likelihood of nuclear attack for the UK. Colonel Hamish Stephen de Breton Gordon OBE is a chemical weapons expert and former commanding officer of the UK's Joint Chemical, Biological, Radiological and Nuclear Regiment. He is also a visiting lecturer in disaster management at Bournemouth University. In other words, he knows what he is talking about. He says Putin's comments over the weekend are the cry of someone who knows things aren't going to plan. Mr. De Breton Gordon said, Putin is trying to destabilize the situation. Our nuclear capability is always in high readiness, and Putin knows he'd get it back in spades from NATO. The UK will also be fairly low down Putin's attack list. Security expert and former Economist senior editor Edward Lucas notes, the countries he's least likely to attack are the UK and France, we have nuclear weapons. Nonetheless, any successful attack would be horrific, he adds, resulting in hundreds of thousands of deaths and a large chunk of the country being devastated. The UK is, on the face of it militarily well prepared to counter a nuclear strike on London. Britain has a strong nuclear deterrent, Mr Lucas says, plus a very good chance of nuclear missiles being intercepted with the aid of the US Star Wars system. Any attack on a NATO member is also seen as an attack on all of them, leading other European allies to get involved and most likely join a counter-strike on Moscow. London is the best defended part of the country, as you'd expect. The capital would place Type 45 destroyer vessels in the Channel and Thames estuary, able to cut off most nukes before landing. It would be the most stupid target. Russia would probably try a middle-ranking city instead Mr Lucas added. And while a nuclear attack would be abominable, Londoners themselves would have no shortage of hiding places. Though most formal nuclear bunkers have been abandoned in the UK since the Cold War peak, the London Underground Network covers 250 miles of track alone, with platforms and corridors providing enough space for millions to shelter from the immediate impact, Hamish de Breton Gordon suggests. 
There is no doubting that Brits are less personally prepared for a nuclear attack than during the Cold War, however. Hamish de Breton Gordon suggests it's not something to worry too much about, it wouldn't be difficult to dust off all those plans. We would do what we did 30 to 40 years ago. Aside from sheltering in a tube station, Londoners have a few options should it come to it. The key thing is that you want to be shielded from the explosion. Nuclear radiation travels laterally. So get under it or behind a bit of concrete. Although nuclear impacts are horrendous, if you're not within a mile radius you'll probably survive the Breton Gordon ads. What you don't want is glass flying around. Use tape on the windows, and where you can, shield yourself. Put something between yourself and the blast, don't get hit by the shockwave he explained. Mr. Lucas says that taping newspapers to the windows would cut out much of the burning bright flash of radiation that a nuclear strike would cause. You could of course print off my London articles. In event of emergency, stockpile clean water, and have iodine tablets to purify water at the ready, Mr. Lucas adds. Aside from the human damage, another impact of a nuclear strike on the UK is a much less discussed factor. Mr. Lucas said, the electromagnetic pulse would fry every bit of electronics in the country. We are much more vulnerable than in the 1970s and 1980s. It means the lasting damage would be greater than decades ago. The country wouldn't shut down, however. While most sirens have reportedly been decommissioned, emergency broadcast systems are in place. Anarchists will be sad to learn that the business of state would continue, to whatever happens. Both Mr. Lucas and Mr. de Breton Gordon confirm that there would be an alternative seat of government, most likely a bunker in Corsham. There are also very deep facilities under Whitehall and under major military locations, Mr. Lucas says. For all the talk of a nuclear missile being able to reach the UK in 20 minutes, we can sleep a little easier knowing that Britain's security services have a good idea of the Kremlin's decision-making process for launching a nuclear strike. It's a major part of intelligence, knowing when nukes would be used and the chain of command. We understand it and there might be things we could do to disrupt that Mr. Lucas adds. For now, it doesn't hurt to get more clued up. Few thought Putin would invade Ukraine, until he did. He's showing very unstable traits Mr. de Breton Gordon said. And while we shouldn't worry just yet, Putin is becoming less predictable, with Mr. de Breton Gordon added, a caged animal like him is dangerous. It's a sentiment echoed by security expert Mr. Lucas, on the whole people get stranger when in power. Putin has been in power for more than two decades now. How much stranger can he get? The anonymous London graffiti artist who annoyed everyone from the Queen to M25 drivers. For more than 20 years the faded white lettering on the Chalfont viaduct on the M25 must have been Britain's most loved graffiti. It read, give peas a chance. The journey it's taken has been long, 
with joy and fury along the way. At first, the graffiti simply read peas, which is a word that had appeared in graffiti elsewhere and was thought to be the tag of a London street artist. Later, the words give and a chance were added around it, and yes, that is an excellent pun on the 1969 John Lennon song Give Peace a Chance, not a weirdly earnest out-of-place plea for a starchy vegetable. Buckle up, because this story is about to get rocky. In 2018, someone, presumably the street artist Helch, painted over the much-loved Give Peace a Chance graffiti with the word Helch. How he thought that would go down we don't know but presumably the backlash upset him because over the course of three nights it changed again too. People were not in the mood to give Helch a break. Give Peas a chance signaled that I was on my way home from work to be with my four small children said Karen O'Neill on a Facebook group calling to bring back the old Give Peas a chance graffiti, a petition to this effect gained more than 2,000 signatures. Feels like part of my childhood is lost said Lillian Barnett on the same group. Amanda Simmons relayed her heartbreaking story of what the bridge meant to her family, saying, Every evening on his way home from work my man would call and say nothing but give peas a chance, this equated to I'll be home in 20 minutes. He sadly passed away four years ago but I always told the children the story of how daddy called every night when he drove under the bridge calling me to just say those words. We named it Daddy's Bridge, won't be the same anymore. The people who missed the Give Peas a Chance graffiti weren't the only enemies made by Helch, whose tag popped up in various other locations across southeast England, including a railway viaduct within full view of Windsor Castle. The Queen was said to be extremely upset that the view had been spoiled by the witless edition. While Give Peas a Chance was sadly gone for good, today the Chalfont Viaduct is once again the site of something meaningful. In March, 2020, Helcher's plea for a break was painted over in a blue and white message that read Thank you NHS. The Facebook group's admin, Mark P. Summers, said. This is the greatest thing to happen to the bridge since it was messed with by Helch over 18 months ago. We are super happy and wish this to stay forever. The NHS deserve this as recognition for all their hard work. The graffiti artist Pease, who started this entire chain of events off with the original tag, commented, I am so happy. Putin faces army mutiny as Russian soldiers turn guns on Chechens, morale in tatters. Furthermore, Russian officers are alleged to have gone on strike and are refusing to carry out orders in protest at their conditions and the war. Chechen leader Ramzan Kadyrov is a close ally of the Russian despot and has been a strong supporter of Putin's war in Ukraine. He has sent his militias, known as the Kadyrovtsi to help bolster Russian forces in their invasion. The Kadyrovites have a fearsome reputation and, in the past, have faced repeated allegations of abusing human rights. Part of their role is to prevent Russian soldiers from fleeing battle by threatening to shoot them if they try to desert. However, 
This has enraged Russian soldiers who have now taken matters into their own hands and decided to turn the tables on their Chechen oppressors. Viktor Kovalenko, a former Ukrainian army veteran, said Beryat soldiers in the Russian army had turned their guns on Kadyrov's militias. He tweeted, in the occupied Kyzlivka village, near the famous Konobavka Russian arms storage, in Kherson province, about 50 Russian soldiers of Beryat nationality opened fire at night at fellow Kadyrovites Chechens. There are dead and wounded. Source, Intelligence Depth of Ukraine Mod. Allegedly, the Beryat soldiers of the Russian military were angry and frustrated that Kadyrovites Chechens didn't fight along with them, but threatened to kill Beryats in case they retreat from the battlefield. Moreover, the Beryat of the Russian military soldiers fired at fellow Kadyrovites because they appropriate most of the stuff Beryat soldiers robbed from the locals and stole from abandoned houses of Ukrainians. Kadyrov boasted that tens of thousands of Chechens were ready to volunteer for the war in Ukraine, after hostilities commenced. The Russian state TV channel RT also claimed that 12,000 Chechens were on their way to fight. However, experts have been unable to verify the actual number of Kadyrovites deployed in Ukraine, nor in which fields they are operating. Russian political expert Alexei Malashenko told AFP, Nobody knows exactly how many Chechens are fighting in Ukraine or where exactly they are deployed. Harold Chambers, a North Caucasus analyst, said the Chechens' role was largely for propaganda purposes, to strike fear into Ukrainians and undermine morale. He told Al Jazeera, The Kadyrovtsi in Ukraine have been given conventional objectives i.e., neutralizing Ukrainian leadership, counterinsurgency, stopping desertion, while playing a crucial part in Putin's initial psychological warfare campaign. Further signs that Russian military morale is sinking to new lows emerged in the course of last week. Andrei Shipilov, a Russian military analyst, claimed that middle-ranking officers had decided to go on strike and were refusing to carry out orders. In a post to his Telegram channel, he wrote, in the Russian army, in any case, in those parts that are on the territory of Russia, a mass strike of the middle command level began. And above all, staff. All work is sabotaged, all orders from superiors are put on brakes. Russia claimed that parts of an oil terminal and adjacent territory in the Bryansk region came under artillery fire on Saturday. Alexander Bogomars, the region's governor, told the Russian media outlet RIA that there were no victims. The city of Bryansk is located less than 100 miles from the border with Ukraine. Last week, large fires broke out at two oil depots in the city. Military analyst Rob Lee said that the fire was probably a result of Ukrainian sabotage. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast. We thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.